0: about it
1: And yeah, Johnny Cash, I think about it. I do as well. Good afternoon, radio and podcast listeners. This is Barton Smith, your host for The Greater Good. A little chat session that delves into individuals and maybe that, the individual's uh, industry and how that affects the greater good how it impacts our community in a, in a positive way, how they impact uh, the people around them. And I'm really pumped about today's conversation uh, because just knowing the individual that is my guest and uh, referring business back and forth to each other, driving around town, looking at uh, buildings and projects and the rich architectural history we have in town, I was thinking to myself, how does architecture affect the community? uh, emotionally, energetically, all that kind of good stuff. And, um, so I thought to myself, I'm going to bring in an architect and have a chit-chat. So I have with me a guest. He is with Mad Architecture, local peddling company and family, uh, prolific. In fact, when you hear of the projects, you'll be like, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I know that. And so I'd like to uh, welcome today my guest, Mr. Chris Lynch.
0: Pardon. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure, buddy. It's terrific to have you aboard, man. All right. So Chris, um, I want to just have a few uh, chats about the uh, projects you've got, like in the past and slakes. So I know you've done personal residences, you've done Keller Court Commons, and uh, the one famous everybody probably knows, uh, involvement with Brewsters, right? That's right. Yeah. So talk about the couple other other projects that you've had, or there, you know, some of those projects that you've worked on. Because I know you really commit some time to making those happen and bringing them to fruition.
0: Uh, yeah. So aside from the probably Hundreds of um, remodels and uh, single-family homes. Um, some of the bigger projects that have more exposure, like you said, are Brewster's Beer Garden. Um, there's Keller Court Commons, which just finished up up on the uh, intersection of West and Keller Street, which was a really fun project to work on. Eight single-family homes. Um, some other ones that people may not know of um, that were a little bit in the past was the Sienna. Restoration, which is the old J.C. Penney building. For mm-hmm. people that have been here for a really long time, it's on the boulevard. Um, it's next to the Starbucks. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um remember you took the
1: facade off the building. I yeah, it know?
0: was. They had modernized the facade yeah. <laughs> with a with with really just a, a plan <laughs> of, of cement plaster.
1: Stucco plaster. <laughs> yeah. Where <laughs> J.C. Penney
0: back in the I want to say in the '60s. Yeah. Um, for people that have been here. L- little less long it was Marin outdoors for a long time okay yeah. um and now it's been restored to to uh to the original building and then there's also the addition to the Petaluma library down on east washington, so that copper okay. uh, yeah. that copper corner that has the the super graphics library across the top was right. was a project that we worked on as, as well
1: yeah. I, I love that. I, I noticed that when that went in the copper roof, I was like, ah, that's cool. I mean, that's 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 nice looking, you know? It's like there's an architectural uh, project or renovation of a house on the corner of D and 6, and they're using copper flashing, copper gutters, and downspouts and stuff like that. Yeah. That, that reno. So, nice nice. It's night. a material that will
0: outlive you and I, for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> well,
1: we're well on our way, for sure. Excellent. All right. So, um, talk to me a little bit, if you would, about uh, kind of your history and coming to architecture. How did, how did you stumble into it as a youth, and what path did you follow?
0: So, uh, as a kid, um, I grew up in San Francisco, Irish Catholic family, one of eight kids. Um, that was, I was eight, everybody. That eight. Was eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: if you saw the size of Chris, that's a big set of family members.
0: Yeah, and and I'm one of the smallest. So um, I was a middle child, number five, which was right in the middle. Um, When I was really little, I stumbled upon these pencil sketches that I found in my father's drawer when I was looking for probably dimes and and nickels. (laughs) And I asked my mom, who did these? And she said, well, your father did those. And I was totally blown away by the artistic quality. And... I had already been sketching at that point, but then I really, it gave me this new motivation to really just draw and sketch all the time. And it, as it turns out, I look back on it later and I realize it was my one way to distinguish myself from my seven siblings. Please beat <laughs> me. I can draw. Yeah. <laughs> so when my father, you know, called me everybody's name but my own Greg, Mark, Matt um, <laughs> it was a way to get his attention. Um, oh and so sketched all through elementary school, um, high school, and I also wanted to be an inventor when I was a kid. I had this this, this whim of, of thinking I was going to invent things. So architecture is kind of this natural route of, yeah. of doing both of those, where it's a, it's, it's a creative in, in endeavor each time, and then the drawing and the sketching and that creative process just all came together mm-hmm. and it was a natural fit. Yeah,
1: yeah. What about uh, then formal schooling?
0: Uh, I did it all I because I didn't know I wanted to get in architecture until I was 20. Mm-hmm. I went to San Jose State for a couple of years, took my G stuff, and then I went to City College of San Francisco when I had started thinking about architecture. And they have a really good program. It's mm-hmm. the JC in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from there I transferred to Berkeley okay. uh, for another two years.
1: Got it. And the JC system, Unsung Heroes. Inter- oh, my God
0: yeah no, it was awesome. It yeah. got me into Berkeley for sure. They yeah. had a great program um and i uh I met some professors that that were really inspiring and kept me moving and got me all the way through
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, and and to the youth out there, if you're, you know, wavering on which college to head to or things along those lines, um, J.C.'s just dynamite. I I came out of high school with, I don't know, like a whatever, 2.2, This is nothing, you know, uh, I made it. Um, and, uh, and, and went to the J.C. Ended up with like a 3.75 for three or four semesters, mainly because, of like you said, the teachers and the attention and the size of the class and stuff like that. And then UCLA two years and a four-year degree out of UCLA. It's kind of like, well, that works. Yeah. Yeah
0: funny story was I when I was at the JC trying to get into Berkeley as a transfer I had applied and when I applied I had A's in Five architecture classes, and I had a D in a physics class. <laughs> and so I had—they said you are—you are—you are, you are, you are um, accepted on the condition that you get the D up to a C. So I think I ended up with Bs in all my architecture okay. and a C in my physics class okay. as I changed my focus at the end. There. Right,
1: and they're—they're there with the inventor, right? You kind of <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So we'll just move on from that dynamite. All right. So then into the formal education, uh, and what about uh, your the launch into the career? How did that transpire? Uh,
0: so, right out of school, got a job in Oakland working for a company that did um, housing. So, they did senior housing. Um, and at the time, you know, you took anything you could get. It was a pretty impacted time that we're talking about, 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, and architecture is one of those professions where you have to cut your teeth for a really long time before you even begin to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um So, I worked there for four years, and then I was um, offered a job in a very big firm in San Francisco called Gensler, and they're actually a a global firm. Um, And so, we took a couple months off, my partner, Mary, and I, who's also my business partner at at Mad Architecture, um, and we traveled to Asia. I had some suits made, custom suits, in Hong Kong. They didn't have to be custom,
1: buddy. They were. (laughs) They had to be because I
0: couldn't fit into off-the-shelf suits. I if I do. got a, a suit that fit in my shoulders, it had like a 50-inch <laughs> <thinned> waist. <laughs> like you need three cummerbunds to make the difference. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I had these custom suits made for, for, for cheap, and uh, I was all ready to go work for this really big firm. But when we got back, I had a little red light flashing on my answering machine. I listened to it. Long story short, small firm in Sausalito, four-people firm. I went and interviewed, and I just loved the environment. I loved the fact that I was going to be working on projects from soup to nuts from the beginning to the end as opposed to potentially, you know, designing bathroom enclosures for this big firm. Right. So it was a, it was a fundamental, um, you know, why in the road that I took, and, and I don't regret it. it. It was a good decision on my part.
1: Does, does that seem uh, fortunate to you at all? Cause I, could, I could just see that you know, like, hey, we need another stairwell. Where's that Lynch guy? You know?
0: Well, yeah, you easily can get typecast in those big firms. Um, and in fact, my very first firm, CAD drawing, comu- computer aided drafting, was just starting. Yeah. And they, my very first day, they sat me down at this computer, um, and they wanted me to be a CAD person. And I don't know how I knew but I knew I didn't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. And so I just told them no, I'm more interested in design, sketching, um the, that creative process. Um and it was a, it was a smart move on my part because I could have easily had been kind of shoved into that. Oh, yeah. into that that flow and uh and it would have been hard to resist to go in a different direction. Great,
1: not to self, man. You listen to yourself on that and trust your gut. So Yeah. So, the reason I moved your mic was because we have different levels here significantly for some reason. So, maybe if you just back up just a skosh. That might help our level situation here. All Thank right. you, sir. Appreciate that. You have to produce and chit uh, and chat Very all good. at the same time. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, uh, so I'd love to dive into um, the portion of the segment I'm really excited about, which is uh, talking about the impact, emotional impact, and, and et cetera, of architecture on individuals, on the community as a whole. Um, and just kind of, do you have any broad strokes
0: or thoughts of, on that for us right off? Um, you know, I saw your some of your questions ahead of time, yeah. um, and 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 I thought about it for a while. It, when you're when you're this deep into a profession, you know, I've been doing it for thirty five years now. Um, sometimes you're so busy doing the work that that it's nice to step back and and ask these more theoretical questions of yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so these are great questions. And, and I guess, I think one of your questions here was, um, do you believe that architecture affects a city and, and vice versa? Um, and I think that it absolutely does. I think just using local Petaluma as an example, right? Um you know, everybody knows of, of the kind of the divide in town, right, which is east and west Petaluma. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason we moved to Petaluma um, from San Francisco 30 years ago was because there was a there was a here here, right, the famous Gertrude Stein. You know, a lot of these places, I think it was Oakland, she described it as having no there there. And, and as soon as Mary and I came to downtown Petaluma, and saw the surrounding neighborhoods, we were just totally intrigued with, yeah. with the history, the diversity, um, and just the quality of, of the architecture. So as architects, we couldn't just live anywhere. Right. So this was a pretty big jump, you know, 40 miles north of San Francisco, but, but it attracted us. Um, so I think in terms of You know that sort of impact, the the effect it had on us. I think it has that same effect on everybody, whether people know it or not. People know the difference between some of the subdivisions that that people live in in, on the east side, especially the older ones that were done, you know, post-war. So maybe you know 50s, 60s. Some of the housing that's done around the shopping malls. You look, you look at that now, and you can just compare that to the west side. And there's there's not only a, a a visual difference, but there's a visceral feeling you get that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, strolling through a West Side neighborhood versus strolling through one of those neighborhoods, and that's in no small part to not only the planning and and the and the location, but also to the architecture itself. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of those houses didn't have architects. In fact, no, you know, really? a lot of that developer housing would have stock plans, um, and the simpler the better as far as the developer was concerned because because back then in the 50s with, with the modern movement, um, developers, some of them, it, were able to, to couch their designs as modern, but what they really were was just cheap, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. they were
0: able to put things together fairly cheaply without a lot of detail and a, and a lot of thought.
1: And probably not as much then as now, but certainly city oversight and going through, you know, jumping through hoops to make things happen. Right. Um, and, I, and I think really quick, super important to say all the east-siders is that without judgment, right, because it filled a uh, need at that time, right, where it was housing. We need more housing now uh, type of uh, thing. Whereas on the west side of uh, town, you have a lot of single one-off built or maybe two or three rebuilt at one period of time, like on my block. You know, we have across the street with a bunch of 19, you know, 05 to 1915s, and then on my side of the block, you've got like three or four that were built between 48 and 49.
0: Right, so. right, and it's not a judgment at all. It's just, it's just kind of an ob- observation. Sure. Um, and you're right. West side was a little bit more one off, but you know, I'm, I'm in a group of three homes that were all built by a developer in uh-huh, 1927. Right. Yeah, he used the same floor plan. He just changed the. Facade slightly, mm-hmm. um, and and it you know it it was actually pretty sparse you know it wasn't like walking into uh, an arts and crafts bungalow designed by Brainerd Jones where you've got you know, amazing trim and thoughtful built-in detail and built-ins ours ha- had none of that because right. it was a spec house from 1927 even on the west side yeah. Um, yeah and on the on the east side a lot of the subdivisions you're right were going in. Um, at a much larger quantity, you know, uh-huh. right. maybe right. 20 houses at a time, Yeah, uh, up to, you know, now we're seeing, you know, sometimes 40 houses, 50 houses in a subdivision going in. So, uh, yeah. these yeah. is definitely, you know, the, the quality has definitely gotten a lot better since the 60s. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's
1: tricky to build on from the soil standpoint as well. I mean, even before the house and the architecture yeah. settled in on it.
0: Yeah, the adobe clay soil on the east side is is a real challenge for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think this brings up that wonderful adage, right? You need to make a house a home. Uh, And I experienced that in real estate just all the time. I go into a house that was in three different houses today, vastly different on the interior, right? Right. Some felt like a home, some just kind of felt like a house and still had the qualities of the original build. Right. Um, So, yeah, so making the house uh, a home.
0: And there's a difference between the inside of the house and, Mm and then the outside of the house, right? So... A lot of those subdivisions, they that have been done in the 80s, 90s, the, the landscaping is mature now. Um, the, the way that they were laid out makes it a much more enjoyable um, experience for people just walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a little closer to to, to the west side, mm-hmm. where you've got in some places tree-lined, uh, you know, canopied streets. Um, it's it's a it's it's a different feel now for yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, it really is. Really is. Um, and uh, the some of the parks, I love how some of the east side parks were developed with subdivisions around them. Um, I can't think of the name of it at the moment, but it's across the street. it's uh, between the um, North Star subdivision and like Lancaster and the English name streets. There's a long narrow park, which is now a dog park. It has a paseo that runs along the creek, it connects to the J C it connects to well what used to be G and G and Lakehorn Park. You know, and I love that whole connectivity and flow of some of those, you know, more master planned, if you would. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they really did start, the city started asking for and started to get more of those amenities. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was on Design Review back in 2000, and that was always a big part of what the city was asking for, is, okay, we're going to allow you to do these houses, these so many houses, but you, you have to give back. You can't just... You can't just build over every square foot. You've got to give some amenities back to each neighborhood. I, th- I think it's Turtle Creek. Maybe mm-hmm. you're thinking about that has.
1: That's a. It's a little. That's a little to the south. Okay. Yeah. 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 But Turtle Creek does have a little park in paseo along the creek as well. Right. And and south. that's
0: actually a downside to the west side. There's not that many parks. Right. Mm-hmm. We've got depending upon where you, where we're talking about, we may have Wickersham Park. Yep. Um On where we live, Oak Hill, we have Oak Hill Park. Yeah. Um, there's Walnut Park, but all in all, there's not that many parks yeah. on, the, on the old side of town.
1: You just have to stumble over broken sidewalks to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: how about um, how
1: about uh, commercial architecture? Because uh, that seems pretty impactful as well to me. People drive through downtown, they're like, oh, wow, this is really neat, you know? Or a whole block of iron side or iron yeah. sod right. based buildings, too. Uh, what's your take on Because I know you've done some commercial, obviously, with Brewsters. Um, and I know you're working on some other projects that might be residential, but in the downtown kind of core area um, to compete, actually, with commercial projects. How do you how do you approach that when you're dealing with, um, you know, a builder, right? You're dealing with uh, maybe a developer, and maybe that developer has a desire specific to see. So it's like, I mean, do you tap your emotional side at all when, when coming up with a design? Or are you just kind of like, you know, just... Great listen, and maybe Mary taps in the emotional side and comes with kind of you know creative. I know there's a balance there in that relationship. So. Yeah,
0: and I'm sorry Mary's not here, but um, we'll make that happen. We had a little we had a little uh, a little dog fight incident <laughs> where the dog is now through that. Right, he got the worst of it. Yeah, um, yeah um, it's a it's an absolute balance, right? So the owner has his program or her program um, that she wants to see. It's not unlike what happens when we do a um, a, a residence for somebody. Um, but Brewster's is a good example. Um, Brewster's um, was designed specifically for, for the beer garden um, facility. So they knew they wanted the restaurant. They knew they wanted this open feel. They wanted it to be an outdoor space. They wanted it to be down at the river um, they didn't want it to be up on the boulevard. Mm-hmm. That isn't where they wanted people to hang out. So we were um, we were given a real challenge in that we had a set of codes that we had to comply with. Part of the um, the smart code it's called, um, and it's a specific plan that actually talks about um, not only the uses you can provide in different areas, but but. It goes a long way to talk about the form they want you to use when when putting that um, building together. So, we were... Form sl- means? Form, uh number of stories that, that they want to see. Okay. Um, uh, build out from property line to property line, um, that sort of thing. So, that's a very unique site that it has the boulevard presence mm-hmm. uh, with all the other historic storefronts along there Um, but it also drops down to the river so the some of the original buildings were using the river for the industrial part of their operation so that had uh, the incubator company there so that was a warehouse that made incubators and and shipped them out it had a commercial presence on the boulevard Uh, there was two stories there uh, and then the warehousing was done down below because the river was now the 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 mode of transportation to do shipping, bring materials in, ship things out yeah um, well, this was a different use right this was this was a um, um, a restaurant and a beer garden, and they really wanted people to be down at the bottom on that river level so the challenge was how do we respect both things. How yeah. do we respect the the, the boulevard's presence um, and then also get the use down below? And that was done. And Mary came up with it, which, which was the, the living roof that you see when you drive by, right? It, yeah. it, uh, as she describes it, it was an extension of Penry Park, the green that's across the street. We tried to bring that green over and have it, uh, an actual visual amenity to people right. as they approached. Yeah. But as anybody that's been there, you know you drop down and there's no there is no level that you that you can hang out at at the boulevard but but the living roof along with that entry portal that was done by um Brian Tedrick, beautiful a artist from Sonoma yeah were all um things that we wanted to to give the community uh as a visual enhancement that's nice. kind of a trade off yeah yeah, yeah.
1: So, would that type of thing be an emotional um i mean it has an emotional impact huge because I mean, can you imagine driving out the boulevard glancing over and just seeing you know the vents coming out of the you know the kitchen and things like that in the back of the building because it is kind of the back although it's obviously on the street face um was that driven do you think at all emotionally by kind of hey you know how can we beautify this how can we kind of like have a softer impact on people is that is that i mean tell yeah, me that i well. don't know if emotional, emotional
0: i don't know if emotional is the right word mm-hmm. um uh, but it it definitely was always something that we wanted to kind of give to the city, and and in fact, it was a negotiation with planners too, who at first, when they first heard the idea, were a little bit skeptical because it didn't, you know, in their mind, it didn't meet the 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 letter of the zoning code. Oh, Got completely, I can see that. Yeah. Um, and and there's been people that have have criticized it for that reason, mm-hmm. that it didn't, you know, it did not. Keep uh, the existing pattern of the two-story, one to two stories along the boulevard. Yeah. In our, in our, in our viewpoint, we we were keeping open a view corridor that had been there for years. Right, That's true. Uh, so you can, you know, you can see the uh, the granary in the distance, which we think is a another visual landmark in town. Mm-hmm. Um, so from an emotional standpoint, it wasn't emotional so much as it was um, definitely intentional. Yeah, well, right, right, and and. And a funny thing was, as that was being built, we were hearing criticism constantly because the Libyan roof was the very last thing to go in. <laughs> and to come to fruition, right? Not to come in last, but to yeah. grow up. In so the- it was just this flat roof with yeah. waterproofing and these vent stacks sticking out of it. And, oh, and I can't tell you how many times I had to tell people, oh, just, baby, just wait, man. wait till it's all done. Then you can judge it. And, and most people got it yeah. at the end. God. Some people didn't. Some people didn't like the vent stack sticking out of the living room, right. but Maybe I, I, I kind of like that juxtaposition of the, of of the organic and the industrial. Yeah, yeah, of course. You, Maybe you could have
1: just done like a little cardboard cutout and just, you know, put it up there for a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, a model. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly, dude. I could have
0: painted it green. Please, everybody. Spray painted green okay. for a while. All
1: right. And so did not like reach for any emotional connection necessarily for that, but just curious as Mary kind of, you know, came up with that from that standpoint at all. But but what we do definitely see is a, um, is a positive impact on it because I personally think it's super attractive. It's really cool. And with the archway or the portal, if you call it, that's a great word for it, for the stair level, I think it's just neat. I mean, it's it's a beautiful piece of art. It's right there on the boulevard and it's, you know, steel and wood blended. Oh, and yeah, It's, it's neat.
0: And yeah, and it's so uh, it's just really authentic. Mm-hmm. That's a project that um, you know, we think would have been hard to kind of screw up because of the setting was so dramatic right Right. if anybody remembers what was there before it was was really a parking lot that was used by some of the businesses nearby but um no that's that's it but on the perimeter of it you've got these buildings from the 1800s that's your setting that's your stage set right um and that's priceless Yeah. yeah so our job was to not screw it up right it was to come up with a building that that afforded people the views of all those things, so they could experience it, not have this totally enclosed building. Yeah. But, but that's where the the idea of this open beer garden came came from. Yeah. It was the idea we wanted to be able to experience the brick to one side and the old rock wall on the other side, and yeah. the river to the far end, and the view of the uh, of the granary. Yeah. Uh all that stuff uh, came together.
1: Yeah, that's it's well done. It's, it's such a beautiful project. We are wrapping up our time. Um, we're gonna to have to do this again. We'll have to get Mary back. As soon as blue gets healed up, get Mary back in here, we'll do this chat again because I want to go a little bit further with it. Um so wanna talk also about the impact that you all have uh, from a personal Because so I know you're working on the art council uh now as well.
0: Uh I am not I'm on, the, on the I'm not on the art council. Mm-hmm. Uh I was on a um I was on a stakeholder committee. Got it. Uh that the Art Council put together. Terrific. Okay. And that was specifically for the much-discussed project. Discussed a project.
1: <laughs> yes. A bathing project, let's call it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> a bathing project along Water Street. Uh, That's sad. Say it. And,
1: and you know what? We'll leave it right there at that for now. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate being here. Great conversation. Thanks.
0: It was great. Thank you very much. Later
1: all alone,
0: just the music of the radio, no one calling, no one on the telephone, just me and her and the lights down.